Okay, so welcome to this podcast for the School of Peace Theology. We are privileged to have Dr. Gerald Mast with us uh, today, who will be teaching a course in the School of Peace Theology on Anabaptist Peace Theology. Also, Michael Hardin, who is the founder and director of Preaching Peace, as well as the founder of the School of Peace Theology, is with us. My name is Greg Vidala. I am the director for the School of Peace Theology. So, Gerald, welcome. Good to have you. Thanks. Good to be Thanks. here. So for students who are going to jump in and take a course with you or thinking about it, uh, give them a little flavor for who you are, what you do, what your life is about. Well, uh, I'm a communication professor at Bluffton University, which means that um, I don't primarily teach theology. I teach courses like public speaking uh, or religious communication, which is uh, uh, which, among other things, is about how to craft sermons. And so. Um, I, I do teach a Mennonite history uh, class uh, online for teachers at Mennonite schools. So that is uh, sort of on, a, on an annual basis where I get uh, very focused on my particular area of interest, the, the, the specific types of arguments and persuasion and communication um, that's connected with the history of Mennonite peace theology. I get to do that at least once a year. Um, so I, I do that at Bluffton. Um, I also uh, have uh, a family, uh, two teenagers right now, um, and a six-year-old uh, kindergartner that uh, occupy a good deal of my time. Uh, I enjoy bicycling around uh, rural Bluffton here. Um, those are a few things about my life. Hey, awesome. And uh, let us know, how did you get into the area of discipline that you're in, in terms of why your career took the direction that it's in, or how you arrived on, you know, being so into uh, Anabaptist peace theology as well? And Well, it's a somewhat circuitous route. Um, in college, I took a class in rhetorical theory. Uh, and uh, among the things that we read there, um, classic text we read was Aristotle's rhetoric. And uh, reading that text um, uh, helped me uh, realize that uh, an interesting question to ask about anything that people assume to be true uh, is not just whether or not it can be proven to be true or not, but what is it about the argument or what is it about that uh, picture, that uh, way of thinking about the world that is convincing to people? So it backs up a little bit from sort of the give and take about how do we prove whether something is true or not to ask uh, this larger, bigger picture question about what are the sources of evidence? Uh, why do those change in terms of what's convincing to people over time? And uh, I didn't really realize it at, at the time, but that set me up for um, studying rhetoric in graduate school in the communication program at uh, the University of Pittsburgh, where um, at that time, cultural studies was just coming into the picture, and the communication department there was uh, partnering with the Spanish department, uh, the philosophy of science department, um, to ask a lot of very interesting intercultural uh, and interdisciplinary questions um, about how discourse and language works um, across time, across culture, across history. Uh, and we were reading, of course, uh, people like Foucault, uh, uh, people like Derrida were coming to lecture at Pittsburgh. Um, and so it was, a, it was a very exciting time uh, to be at Pitt that I just landed in there. And uh, my department was very much focused on um, rhetoric and argument. And so because I 
came from a Mennonite background and was very interested, of course, in the beginnings of the Mennonite church in the 16th century Anabaptists, I decided to do a dissertation on um, the arguments uh, that 16th century Anabaptists were making about social change, about um, um, peace, about the relationship of the church to the state. Uh, and in the process of writing that dissertation, I think this happens to many people. I realized that this is not really the book I wanted to write. Uh, there was another book that I, I wish I was writing instead. Uh, and that became uh, after uh, I came to Bluffton, I worked for a few years and, and published the book Separation and the Sword and Anabaptist Persuasion. Because I realized while working on my dissertation that a primary way that early Anabaptists dealt with their relationship to um, political authority uh, was to argue for some form of separation from it, but they disagreed about how to or how to ex how to display that separation, how to explain it, um, and that that became that book uh, because that uh, was clearly um, a source of contention and conflict and dispute in the early Anabaptist movement. That would be one way to tell the story of how I got to where I am. <laughs> it is a complex story. One of, the, one of the things that I enjoy about both your writing and your um, speaking, Jerry, is that um, you are able actually to communicate. You're not, you just don't simply study communication, but you actually communicate. And uh, that's one thing I enjoy about listening to you very much. Well, thanks. I, I, um, I try to practice what I preach um, and sometimes succeed. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, and as, I'm, as I'm listening to your journey there, I'm going, wow, what a, what a rich academic uh, journey you've been on. Uh, just brings so many dimensions into who you are and, and what you probably bring to students. That's, that was awesome. Yes. So tell, tell me where you presently are in terms of, you know, you have this wide background of learning and have you been into the disciplines you are, but where are you presently, like what's some passion areas uh, that you're presently studying or interested in or trajectories you're taking? Well, I, I, um, I stay rooted uh, to some extent uh, in 16th century Anabaptist arguments uh, and um, pamphlets. And, and this just finished an essay draft about um, uh, the core hymns in the Ausbund, a very important uh, Swiss Anabaptist hymnal. Uh, the core hymns of which were written by a group of uh, about 50 uh, uh, Anabaptist prisoners in, at Passau in Germany in uh, uh, 1537, 1538. And so there is a theology in this, in these core hymns about uh, suffering um, that is not simply a sacrificial picture of suffering, but a picture of, of suffering uh, at sort of a suffering through to birth, uh, uh, a picture of a of a gentle divinity, a God who suffers with us. Ooh, uh, it's right nice. there in these hymns that the Amish sing um, uh, still, uh, but it's not really been retrieved. Um, these remarkable and striking images of, a, of an alternative picture of God to the one that uh, certainly was common in the, the Reformation era. Michael, looks like you're excited about that. Yes, yes, I am. You know I am. The Janus face God has plagued us for far too long, and uh, it still does. I mean, you, you and I have talked for, a, we've known each other about a decade now, and, and you know my critique of, of the Anabaptist tradition, and in particular the, 
uh, modern influence of evangelicalism in that tradition. And, and uh, what I sadly see is the uh, leaving behind of the peace tradition that Conrad Kanegi documented about a decade ago, I think it was. But I'm very excited that there is a, a, a kind of almost a rebirth within the Mennonite tradition now of this peace heritage. And you see it in the Mennonite uh, World Review now. Uh, so many, so much thinking going on in and around this. So it's very, must be a very exciting time for you. It is. Um, I, I think that um, uh, something that I'm, I'm working at is how to reconceive those Anabaptist origins uh, in a different way, I think, than what um, the 20th century uh, Mennonite historians thought about it as this sort of pure moment in which um, there was genuine defenselessness, genuine pacifism, a genuine peace position that quickly got corrupted by pietism. Yes. And uh, what I see uh, going on all the way back to the beginning is, is a struggle uh, to understand the relationship between this emerging um, religious social movement and Protestant theology, um, as well as uh, mystical, uh, monastic, um, contemplative theology, uh, both of which um, are, are part of sort of the materials, the tools with which the Anabaptists reworked their thinking about what the Bible tells us about the nature of God and what God expects for us, particularly in the context of conflict between peoples. Um, I don't think there was any pure moment. There was just always an argument um, about uh, how we think about these things, how we talk about them, what is our relationship to the instruments of violence in the world. Um, but there is, uh, th there are a lot of fruits and useful tools in this 16th century argument for us today as we struggle within Christianity to unleash um, the, the nonviolent God um, uh, who redeems yes. us through his gentle identification with our suffering. It's there. It's there, Perfect. and it's contended with all the way from the beginning. There uh, you go. Yep, yep. There you history, go. Yeah, history so informs where we are uh, in the present and kind of trajectories we're moving in that you bring so much uh, richness in terms of what you know about what took place back there in history. So. Tell us a little about the course that you're going to do in the School of Peace Theology. What is it that you're bringing to that? Why choose that one? And you know, what are you what are you hoping for students to get out of that as to why they should be really motivated to take it? Well, um, once at least a faction of Swiss Anabaptists in the, the early or the the mid to late 1520s decided that the that the church um, that they were seeking to renew needed to disentangle itself from the instruments of violence associated with the authorities of the world. Um, then they immediately faced a whole set of questions. That is to say, when they became pacifists, um, those who became pacifists faced a whole set of questions, both from other Anabaptists as well as from other Christians more generally, like, um, so, how do you keep order in society if, if you're not going to use the sword uh, of governance? Um, uh, what would you do if uh, someone attacked you? Would you defend yourself? I mean, those are standard questions that pacifists get. 
Uh, and so, and they developed uh, very creative answers to those questions, even though the answers weren't consistent, even though they experimented and, and tried out a lot of uh, arguments. Uh, and so, uh, so the Schleitheim Brotherly Union is certainly one example of an answer which emphasizes the complete separation of, of the Church of Christ from uh, the, the governance institutions of this world. Uh, a magistrate cannot be a Christian. A Christian cannot be a magistrate because the magistrate um, is identified with the sword of governance. And it's a lethal weapon that Jesus rejected in his life, um, in his teachings, uh, in the manner of his death and resurrection. Uh, and so that's certainly one answer is to say, we can have nothing to do with uh, those structures of power. Um, another kind of answer uh, came from Menno Simons, which was to accept the possibility that a Christian could be a magistrate, but uh, to say, um, but if you are a magistrate and then you have to follow the way of Jesus Christ and you cannot be engaged in taking the life ever of someone who might become a brother or sister in Christ to you. Uh, and that was his argument against capital punishment. And so uh, those represent sort of two different, um, I would say, um, poles of possible argument. And in between, there are many different varieties of, of ways to think about the defenseless church uh, in relationship to um, communities and uh, structures of power that are not obedient to the way of Jesus Christ. And so, um, I, I, that's what I have to on offer is how did the early Anabaptists conceive of their relationship to a violent society, having decided uh, that they were going to leave the sword behind, the sword of self-defense, the sword of governance, both the, you know, the angry sword of vengeance, but also the respectable sword of, of government. Uh, both of those are, are a piece of the same thing. That is not of the way of Jesus Christ. Once you decide that, then how do you answer all these questions that immediately become coming, become, um, uh, come at you from your neighbors, uh, from other church members, and so on? This is going to be an exciting course for, because these are the exact questions that we're dealing with still in Christendom, particularly in our current American context. And so what I think is, is excellent about a course like this is that you actually are getting back now, you're doing historical work, so you're examining a, a specific uh, time and space, you're doing biographical work, you're learning about figures, you're doing theological work, which means you're engaging the tradition as it, and it's also engaging you, you know? And this is kind of uh, the kind of a course, I think, that when people always ask the same questions over and over, what do you do, what do you say, this is the kind of course that they will benefit from in a huge way. So I'm very glad you're teaching it, Jerry. 